Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Sometimes it takes a while to find the career path you really love. And for Sonia Chang, it took a while to settle into and really own that entrepreneurship was something she felt called to do. Today, she is the co-founder of a brand new company called Playfully, but she spent 10 years in product management and digital consumer products before she finally jumped into the entrepreneurial waters. Sonia is the mom of two young kids and has another one on the way, and she is thrilled to be working on building products that make life easier for new parents. Today, we talk about how she took a long-term view of her career. Her advice? Don't settle for a job or a career that doesn't feel like it's authentically you. But it's also okay to be patient and to wait for the right professional opportunity to come along, even if you have to make short-term sacrifices like staying in a less-than-ideal job for longer than you had wanted to. Her background includes a BA from Stanford University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. And she has worked for a long time building digital consumer products at companies including Amazon, Zulily, Poshmark, and Shutterfly. Just this last year, in 2018, she left the corporate world to pursue her longtime dream of becoming an entrepreneur, and she co-founded Playfully. One of the fascinating things about the company is not the product, although we'll talk about the product on the show, but the fact that it is co-founded by two moms who work a very different schedule by design. They agree to meet three times a week in person, but the rest of the work that they do is done in and around kids. Listen in as we talk about her career path, her partnership, her fertility story, and how IVF, in vitro fertilization, is part of that journey, and how she navigates co-parenting, and why equal partnerships are, to her, one of the fundamental pieces that make entrepreneurial journeys possible. If you live in the United States, you are entitled to a free breast pump with your insurance, but navigating insurance and paperwork can be such a pain. Aeroflow Breast Pumps, the sponsor of this episode, is a company dedicated to making the hassle of getting a breast pump a lot easier for new mamas. If you are a new mom or even a second time or third time mom, Aeroflow has a ton of resources for you about breastfeeding and pumping and navigating the transition back to work all on their website. If you head over to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup, they can quickly and easily help you qualify for a free breast pump through your insurance. I just used them for my second baby and it honestly took just a couple of minutes to go online and, and enter my information. They ran all the checks, they set up the dates, they sent me an email, they said you're eligible. And then when my eligibility window came up, they went ahead and they shipped it right out to me. So it was super easy. It was such a relief. There is enough to do when you are prepping for a new baby and having somebody like Aeroflow Breast Pumps on your team is really helpful. The link's in the show notes and it's also on our website too. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Everyone, I am so excited to have Sonia Chang join us for an interview. Sonia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm really happy to be here. 
Oh, I'm thrilled to have you as a guest. I have a number of questions I want to ask you today, and I want to dig into your story. But before we get into your story and your background, can you tell me what time you woke up this morning and what was the first thing you did? So my morning started right around seven o'clock. I woke up. The first thing that I did was check my email. I checked my personal email, my work email. I looked out for any urgent things that came up last night. I did a quick check on the customer service questions that come in and also on my Facebook ad spending. And we usually, we have about 30 minutes before our kids wake up and that was true today. So my husband and I usually spend that time kind of catching up on what the general schedule is, who's doing what for the day. And so around 7.30 on the dot, both of my kids were up today. And I generally spend about an hour with them in the morning. I try to get them dressed. I feed them breakfast. And we always try to have a little bit of time to do some play or creative time. My daughter loves painting and drawing. And so I really try to carve out some time to do that with her today, every day, actually. Today, we we actually started practicing drawing letters for the first time, which is just really exciting, super cool milestone to hit. And then it's getting them off to preschool or a various toddler activity that my son does. And so my husband usually takes my daughter to school, which he did today. And we also have a nanny who usually takes my son to all his activities. Today, that activity was gymnastics, which is really fun. So everyone gets out the door. I took the dogs on a quick walk, which is pretty typical for me. Most mornings I try to sneak in a quick online workout class if I can. It's not every day. I shower and then I try to get to work. How old are your kids? So my daughter is three. My son is 17 months old. So our household is, I would say, a little chaotic, if you can imagine. We also have (laughs) dogs. So it is pretty busy around here with two really young kids and dogs that are, you know, small and yappy. So it's loud, it's noisy, but it's a lot of fun too. And then how much time is your toddler out at activities and what does that part of the day look like for you? So when he's out for his activities, it usually is two hours, you know, three hours. On the days that I am working at our office, which typically tend to be Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I don't really get to see him during the day because I'm out the door and he comes home and he's with the nanny and she takes care of getting him lunch and getting him down for his nap. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I actually work from home. And the reason I do that is because my daughter has kind of an interesting preschool schedule where she's in one school on Tuesday and Thursdays and another school on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so I try to be home on Tuesday and Thursday to help a little bit more with those preschool drop-off times because they're not consistent day to day. And so (laughs) it can be a little nuts with the kids' schedules. And so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm home around lunchtime to be with the kids. So when my son comes back from his activities. I'm there to spend time with him and have lunch with him and my daughter as well. And so Tuesdays and Thursdays are really great because we get a lot of extra time during the day as a family, whereas Monday, Wednesday, and Friday tends to be a little bit more focused on getting big chunks of work done. So you've got a business that we're going to get into later on in this episode, and you've got a full household. And then am I right in understanding that you are also expecting another child on the way? That is correct. 
I am about 24 weeks. So we have a baby due in August, number three. It is very exciting. It is a little terrifying too. Our household is already really, really chaotic and really busy. And so I, I'm trying to imagine what it's going to be like adding a third to the mix. And, you know, I've heard that people say that it's harder to go from one kid to two than it is to go from two kids to three. I don't know if I actually believe that because yes, while you have learned to multitask and basically do a million things at once, at least with two kids, you can have two parents be there for each kid. You know, it's one-on-one time and it works out very well. (laughs) But I I really don't know how it works. I think you have to have one parent take on two kids and it's like, which two do you take? We've heard that maybe having the older one and the youngest one is best and then the other parent takes the middle one. So I'm not quite sure how it's all going to work, but but hopefully it's going to be a really exciting and fun journey. We'll see. I'll let you know. Okay, good. So this brings me to, I want to ask you about your parenting journey and whether or not you have known always that you wanted to have kids or whether or not it was a journey for you and then what it was like to navigate all of that. Can you take us through that? Yeah. So I've always wanted to have kids, but I would say that my path to motherhood and getting pregnant was definitely not straightforward. About five years ago, we actually got pregnant on a whim and we weren't even trying. Getting pregnant wasn't even really top of mind for me at all. And at the time, I remember thinking about all the things that I actually wouldn't get to do because I was now pregnant. Like I wanted to train for a really fast marathon. I wanted to go on this trip that we were planning to Tibet, which was, you know, a super high altitude and definitely not the sort of trip that someone who was pregnant would go on. So we had to cancel that trip. So I was a little bit bummed out about some of those things. But, you know, after some weeks had passed, I was finally getting a little excited for the pregnancy. You know, a baby was on the way. That's, that's great. And then I had a miscarriage. And I knew that it was a possibility. You know, everyone hears the stat of how common it is. But in my mind, it still felt really unbelievable that it was happening to me and, and that it could happened to me. I was young. I was healthy. You know, why did this happen? And, you know, for someone who wasn't really trying to get pregnant, and honestly, I wasn't even the most excited or grateful, I would say, to be pregnant. But what was really shocking to me was how much of an emotional toll it took on me and how debilitated it left me. I look back on that time and I remember the first day when it happened, the second day, and maybe a few days after that of really just lying in bed in the darkness and, and not wanting to fall asleep because when I would wake up, I would remember that it happened. And even weeks later, the emotional toll of the miscarriage was still so pervasive in every part of my life. I just had this immense feeling of failure that kind of crept over me. And I felt like I was a huge disappointment to myself, to my husband, my family, whom of course were super thrilled to learn about our pregnancy. And I just felt like such a failure for not being able to carry this baby. I thought that there must have been something seriously wrong with me. And going back to that piece about how pervasive it was, what's also interesting is that it actually clouded in many ways how I thought of myself professionally. 
And maybe it seems irrational, but it made me lose a lot of confidence in how I saw my own career and worth as an individual. I think what was bad about all of it was we were actually in the middle of this transition where we were moving from Seattle to the Bay Area. I was leaving a really great job as a product manager at the successful startup in Seattle. We had just bought a home in the Bay Area. We were fully expecting to be growing our family. And career-wise, I didn't actually have immediate next steps after I had just left my job. Buying a house was actually the most ironic piece because what is supposed to be a very positive life experience that you're really excited about ended up just making me a lot more depressed because of all the empty rooms in our house that weren't going to be filled anytime soon and maybe never actually would. It all made me feel like I had lost my footing entirely and I felt lost. I think in every sense of the word lost, that's really the only way I know to describe that feeling. And I think what also made it hard is that while I told some family and some close friends about the miscarriage itself, I didn't tell a lot of people, actually anyone really besides my husband, the full extent of what I was feeling inside, which made it really, really difficult to put on this face and just pretend to a lot of people that I was close to that everything was just fine. And I think that's a really hard part of infertility as well, is that some people are very open about it. They take the approach of sharing their ongoing struggles with others. And for me, that's not what I did. I really wanted to get through the tunnel first and know that everything was okay before I was able to open up to others. I also felt like, you know, in the scheme of all these terrible things that could possibly happen to someone, maybe a first-time miscarriage just isn't that bad. And so I felt maybe embarrassed for feeling such a depth of emotion over it. And I worried that if I told others how I truly felt, that either they wouldn't be able to understand or relate, or maybe they'd even judge me and think that I was crazy for feeling this upset over it. And I think looking back, not sharing with others was probably not the right decision at all because instead I ended up feeling very, very alone. And one way I tried to cope with all this was, you know, we had just moved to the Bay Area. I was going to get a job. And so I started interviewing and I put on the best face I possibly could. And I was actually so thankful when I landed a really great product management position at this fast growing e-commerce startup that was nearby called Poshmark. And it felt like something I could finally hold on to after weeks of this, this nightmare it made me feel like I was worth something again. And it, maybe it's crazy that I, I pinned my self-worth on this, but that's how I really felt at the time. So I started the job. I thought our struggles were mostly over. And more than anything, I just really wanted to become pregnant again. I knew what it felt like to be pregnant, and I wanted that feeling again. It was such a special feeling. And I had thought that getting through a miscarriage, that that was going to be the hard part. And it had to be all uphill from here on out. But unfortunately for me, that just wasn't the case. 
And what actually happened was a long, painful year and a half struggle of not being able to get pregnant and not really having any idea of why it wasn't working and what was wrong. So it was an endless series of doctor's appointments, of infertility tests, of Google searching, of month after month of failed IUIs that went on for a really long time before finally my husband and I decided that nothing else was working and it was time for us to move on to IVF. And IVF was its own journey. I know that there are a lot of people who have been through it. And for anyone who has, it is not a walk in the park. It's just full of so many unknowns. You have to wait a long time. It's full of ups and downs. But very fortunately for us, IVF did work. It worked twice as I now have two healthy kids, my daughter and my son, and I also am expecting another baby in late summer, and she was also conceived through IVF. And so I could not be more grateful. I mean, this technology has given us everything. It's really a dream come true for us. And I'm also fully aware that there are a lot of people who have been down the same road. And I know people for whom it has not worked out for them. And I am just so conscious of the gifts we've been given. I'm, I'm so grateful for it. And as I look back on this whole journey, now on the other side, thankfully, you know, I, I think the beauty of my struggle with infertility with all this is that I think it's just made me a much more grateful person. I know now, looking back, had my first pregnancy just somehow magically worked out, I just don't think I would be the same person I am today. And I think the struggle to have kids has entirely shaped you know, who I am as a mom, now how I choose to spend my time, what my priorities are. And because of all that, I know that I am a much better as a result of it. And it's actually really coincidental because this week, this very week is National Infertility Awareness Week. I got an email from my clinic telling me that. And I haven't shared any of this publicly before. And now that I am, it actually, it feels really good because I think most people who know me, who know my husband and me, they may think that things have just kind of always worked out well for me and that there hasn't been any real struggle. And, you know, even besides this journey, yes, I have been very, very grateful in life. But everyone has their own story and everyone has in internal struggles that most people don't see. And so I'm really glad to be able to share my struggle because I have this hope that maybe it can help others who are going through the same thing. And so I think for anyone, I just want to say that for anyone experiencing infertility, it is really, really hard and you are not alone. Thank you, first of all, for sharing so much of this and for being so candid and so open because it is something, as you even mentioned, it's something that is so silenced or people feel ashamed about. You mentioned feeling like a failure and, and feeling these feelings of being let down 
even when you weren't planning on getting pregnant in the first time or the first time, but it was, what did you call it? Spontaneous surprise? I think you said a surprise. Totally a surprise. Where do you think these feelings of like shame and embarrassment or fear or hiding come from? Like, why do you think that's what came up for you? Do you have any sense or idea? I think for me, I've always been a planner. I've always been a very type A person. And I hadn't really experienced any sort of failure before or any sort of deviation in a serious way like this that really affected me emotionally and and really took me off course. I've never experienced that feeling before. This was a totally new feeling for me to feel the sense of something not going right. If I think back to what my mindset was at the time, it was like I I had gotten pregnant and this baby was going to be born in November. And so that's, that's where my head was. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't on that path anymore. Like that path was just not an option for me. I was on a new path. And it was this feeling of being lost that I've never experienced before. I've never had that feeling of disappointment, of failure, of something not working out. And so I think it hit me in such a strong way because it was the first time in my life that I experienced anything like that. Yes. I think what you're hitting on that's so fascinating is this idea we're sold it in in Western American culture in particular and across other cultures as well, but that if you work hard enough, you can change outcomes. You can make it work. You know, we're told so many times of the champion who made it through grit and determination and hard work. And this pervasive idea of the self-made man, really, and the self-made person can, for people trying to get pregnant, it's like running into a brick wall that you didn't know was there in a video game that just demolishes you. And you're like, what the actual F? Because like, can I work harder to make this outcome change? And it feels, from what I've heard from so many people, just devastating. Right. I think that's the exact way to describe it. I mean, you you think you have control over these things. You think if you just do everything exactly right, that it's all just going to magically work out. And when it comes to pregnancy and really just parenting in general, the complete opposite is true. You have no control. You have no idea if doing all those things will actually allow you to get pregnant. You have no idea if IVF will end up working for you. You have no idea once you finally do have kids, what those kids are going to be like and who they are and what their interests are and how hard it's going to be or how easy it's going to be. You have no idea. You have no control over any of it. And I think for people who are very type A and like to have that sense of control, which I would say I was that type of person, it's just mind blowing. It's really life changing. Something else you mentioned throughout this that I think is so fascinating was, or what I hear from your story is how much your job and your life and even housing is a part of it, right? Like you switched jobs, you moved, the house you bought was based on these expectations. Then the crushingness of having a house that has too many rooms in it is just, it's like, we can't separate 
our housing choices and our partnership choices and our job decisions or things that are beyond our control from the pregnancy journey. Like it's so interesting to me because when I ask this question, when I ask people to explain their pregnancy or parenting journey, or I ask them to explain their business or entrepreneurship journey, they're always are almost always connected because they're so overlapping. So for you, I would love to know more about this whole other side of the story, which is your your business journey as it intersects with this parenting journey. And if you don't mind, I'd love to go like back in time. Can you tell us about what you were like in school, what you studied in school or growing up and, and how that influenced or didn't influence what you do today? Sure. It's, it's a great question. So I grew up in a very small town in rural North Dakota, a town called Oaks. It was a town of about 1,800 people. And my high school graduating class was 37 people. And mind you, this was a public high school, so very small. There was exactly one stoplight in my town. The nearest McDonald's was I would say like 70 miles away. So super small, super rural. And I ended up here because my parents are both doctors and they came to the States from India in the early 1970s. So after medical school in India, my dad actually started residency first in Chicago, but he became really interested in this new field of medicine called family practice. And it turned out that North Dakota of all places happened to be pioneering this practice in family medicine, and they're working really hard to train physicians in this field. And there was also, as you can imagine, a huge shortage of these types of physicians in the state because it's very rural. It's not necessarily the place that would attract a lot of physicians. And so my dad picked up, he went to go train in North Dakota and learned about this opportunity in a very small town to take over this practice from a retiring physician. And he moved there and started this practice. My mom came from India, also a physician, a few years later to join him. And so they started their practice together. So my parents are still there, still practicing in North Dakota. I grew up there up until I lived there up until going to college. And I have three siblings as well, an older sister, younger brothers who are twins. So it was the four of us growing up with my parents living in this super small town. Yeah. How big is this town? 1,800 people. Oh, that's smaller than most colleges. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Did you know everyone? You know everyone. I mean, you walk down the street and everyone's waving to you, asking you how you are. There's, I would say, no privacy. Everyone knows everything about one another. (laughs) Totally. Growing up as, you know, one of the doctor's kids, you know, my parents were kind of like many celebrities in the town and the surrounding area because they had this medical practice, they grew it to a few other towns in the area. And so, you know, we were the, my, my maiden name is Nagla. And so we were like the Nagla kids, you know, and everyone knew us. It was kind of a surreal experience. I think very different from most of my friends or my husband, you know, to grow up in this, this sort of environment. So when did you leave and where did you go? So I was 18 and my sister had gone to Stanford for college and I pretty much did everything that my sister did. She was my role model growing up. And so I was like, I have to go to Stanford too. I have to follow her. So I went to Stanford as well. That's where I ended up for college. And I thought that I was going to go to college and then med school. And then I was going to come back to North Dakota and take over my parents' practice. Like that was going to be my life story. 
And, you know, as things go, it never really ends up working out the way that you think it's going to. And so I, I went to Stanford and I studied human biology, which sounds like it's very hardcore medicine, but it's actually not. It's a very cross-disciplinary major that really allows you to do a lot of different things. But I ended up studying human biology. And while I was doing that, a couple of years in, I was really drawn to just being in the Bay Area, being in Silicon Valley. And I started getting excited about a lot of other things that were open and helpful to me. And the idea of following this path of going to med school and going back to North Dakota just didn't seem quite like the journey I wanted to take. And while I was at Stanford, I actually met my now husband. I was 19 and he was a California native, grew up 20 minutes from Stanford. And, you know, maybe I just kind of fell in love with this California boy, but I, once I was in California, I just didn't want to leave. And I ended up decided to take a very different career path. I didn't go to med school. I still graduated with a degree in human biology, but I ended up taking a job after school in San Francisco in management consulting, which was not unlike many of my friends who were also doing the same sort of thing. And you know, maybe we thought down the road, there was a path towards business school and who knows what else, but it was very different from where I thought I would be at 18 years old. And I think When I look back, growing up in North Dakota, I think in a lot of ways, it did actually impact where I am today and who I am today. And in some ways, because I am on a very different path than I thought I would be. So I think what what did it actually shape for me? I think wanting to eventually become an entrepreneur is something that has been in my blood because I saw my parents do it. They built a practice from scratch. They built it to these other clinics in the area. And so they did it. They were, by every sense of the word, entrepreneurs. And I think seeing my parents, you know, as physicians, they were obviously making a huge positive impact on the communities around them. And so the desire to help others was also very much influenced by seeing my parents as I grew up. And I think the other thing for me is my mom was also a full-time physician is and she balanced working full-time while also raising four kids and she was there for all of us I mean she came to every single basketball game she was there at every recital every performance and from seeing her I knew that I wanted to work too I didn't really think there was another option honestly and I wanted to have a family and it was through watching her that I knew that it was possible to do both of those things and That's so fascinating. Yeah, and and then, you know, after I got this job in management consulting, it it's actually I would say it's been a pretty typical career path until until doing this new startup. But you know, while I was in management consulting, I knew deep down that it probably wasn't the long-term path for me. I really enjoyed building things and designing things and I didn't really want to be making PowerPoint slides for the rest of my life. And deep down, I also knew that I had this bug for entrepreneurship. I really wanted to start my own company at some point. I would see these news articles about other women who are out there doing their own thing, building something from scratch. And those stories were so inspiring to me. And that's who I wanted to be. But I kept convincing myself that I didn't have enough experience or the right idea. And so I 
did not pursue entrepreneurship at the time. I continued down, you know, pretty straightforward path. I, I went to business school and then I decided to go into the world of product management. And I thought it would be a really good career path for me because it's very analytical. It requires you to be a good communicator, you have to be organized. And, and I think most importantly, you get to wear a lot of different hats. And that seemed to be pretty applicable to eventually starting your own company, you know, kind of like, you know, jack of all trades. And so after making a move into product management, I worked at a number of companies in product management leadership roles. And the work was great. I really enjoyed the work. I think it really to a lot of my strengths and it felt like a really great career path for me. And I loved all the people I worked with. I worked at some big companies, some small companies, and I loved the collaboration that is required in product management. But I still felt deep down that I wasn't entirely being my authentic self. And at some point in my career, I really wanted to experience being an entrepreneur. That was still there, that feeling. But, you know, there's a struggle of trying to get pregnant and trying to have kids. And going back to what you said about how, you know, these things kind of just all blend in together and you can't separate them. I, I'm really bad at compartmentalizing. And so that entire struggle with infertility and trying to get pregnant made me feel like it just wasn't the right time or place for me mentally, emotionally to do something entrepreneurial. I just, I couldn't do both. And so I, you know, finally things worked out for me and I I want to pause you here because I want to ask you another question about this, this push pull of like, you always had this idea that entrepreneurship was interesting. Can you explore that a little bit more? Like, what was it that enticed you? And when did you know the word entrepreneurship even existed? I don't think I knew that word existed until getting to Stanford. And of course, being at Stanford in Silicon Valley, you hear all these stories, you know, you hear about Google, you hear about all these really exciting things. And, you know, right after school, my husband joined Facebook. And so that was, you know, very much a startup. And so you kind of start hearing about these things and you're like, wow, that's really interesting. So entrepreneurship became a word for me in college, definitely not before then. But, you know, I was the type of person growing up where I was always kind of doing entrepreneurial things. I actually, you know, I am a composer of music. I don't do this that often now, actually very little, but in high school, I I was a very active person in music and piano, and I recorded my own albums of music that I composed. And so I had a couple of CDs, and I started a nonprofit in high school where I sold my CDs and raised money for different community causes. One of them was 9-11, a fundraiser for firefighters in New York City. And so I had been doing entrepreneurial things for a long time on a very small scale, but it had always been something that I was kind of doing on the side, not in really big ways, but there was always this drive for me to create and build and do things. And so I think that's kind of where that started from is that I, I saw my parents doing it. And I also had these creative impulses that allowed me to build these, you know, small, interesting things in high school that that gave me a taste of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we are kind of segueing over here just for a minute because I 
like the word is so peculiar to me because it, it feels like this fancy, separate, like different word. It's like, oh, I can't be an entrepreneur. I don't even know how to spell it or say it. Like it's a challenging word for a lot of people. And yet it's so fundamental to human behavior, at least from my perspective. Like we, everyone has the itch to create something, to make something. And these creative impulses, which I love that you just said as a way of understanding it, it's like we want to undertake new things. We want to be enterprising. We want to like, it's part of the fundamental like creative nature of human beings in some way. So I wanted to pause you here because you said something that I think so many people can identify with it with, which is like, first, it calls to you, right? Like there's something exciting about it. And then you were swimming in it, being in Palo Alto and the Silicon Valley and going to Stanford is going to put you in a swimming hole of business makers. And then also there's the push where you you said, but I didn't think it was for me or I didn't know if I had what it takes. Can you tell me more about that feeling, where do you think that feeling came from and what ended up changing your mind? So I think that the infertility struggle was a big part of it because I was going through all of this, all these challenges, challenges that made me feel like I didn't have the headspace or mind space to do both really well. So I think that was definitely an underlying thread that made me delay the decision to ultimately do a startup. But my mindset was that you have to have the right experience for it, that you have to have the right things on your resume to be able to convince others that it's something you're going to be good at. And also you have to have the right idea. You know, I had played around with a lot of different startup ideas for some time before finally making the jump into my role as a co-founder at Playfully. I had explored a lot of different things, but I think for me, those weren't rooted in anything that derived from real life experience or a real need that I had. I was just looking to start something. And sometimes you know, just having an idea is not enough. I think it's really important that you you come to the table with real passion and real inspiration that builds from your own life. And up until being a parent, I don't think I actually had a lot of that. I think it was really parenting that that pushed me, that made me realize that I have experienced something really great. And I've had these needs around helping my children develop and grow, which ultimately convinced me that it was time to make the jump into entrepreneurship and and join playfully because that came from real life experience. It came from something that was meaningful and a need that I had experienced myself. So I think it was all of that. It was not the right time and space and, and not having the real mission inside of what you wanted to do. Yes, that's fascinating. I like the idea that parenting can be so disruptive because it teaches you so much, right? It's like, oh, I have to learn on the go. I have to be in perpetual situations where I don't know what I'm doing and figure it out regardless. Like, this is the breeding ground for the skills of entrepreneurship, where I think a lot of formal education in this country is like, we are going to give you the skills and we're going to apply or like, 
we're going to download into you the things that you need. And now you have a certification so you can do it. That's, I'm just like, I'm wanting to take notes as you're speaking. So, so you mentioned playfully, what is this? And can you take us through why did you end up starting or joining? What was that moment like for you? Yeah. So playfully is a baby and child development app. It was designed for parents of children who have kids that are ages zero to three. And what we do is we provide five activities a day, as well as weekly tips to promote your child's development. And that's pretty all-encompassing. It's physical development, cognitive, language, and social-emotional development. And the reason that I got so excited about this idea is when I wasn't at work, I was always spending time with my kids. And what I found really fascinating and, and really fun, actually, was, was learning about their different stages of development and what they're going through. And especially with my daughter, my first, I felt like I was constantly doing research around the right type of toys to get, the best way to set up a playroom for you know, optimal development, and how to use open-ended materials like Play-Doh and, and all of that. And I was also really keen on wanting to make every single moment that I had with my kids count. I saw that as an opportunity to help them learn about the world, to grow with them, and and I was really big into celebrating every single milestone. I, you know, turning a month older when they would try their first solid foods, first steps, all that. Like it felt really rewarding and heartwarming for me to see that growth. And so it turned out that a college friend of my husband's, Manisha, she has started this company called Playfully that was actually built around some of these very ideas that were in my own head. And I learned more about Playfully. I became a beta tester of its first app. And I also stayed in close touch with Manisha. And so here I was, I had two kids. I was back at my job as a director of product at Shutterfly after my second maternity leave. And I started having more and more conversations with Manisha. And I learned that she was looking for a business co-founder to help her grow Playfully. And that given my skill sets, my background, I could actually be a really great fit for her. And so I had all these new interests in child development since becoming a mom. And I had been just waiting on the edge of my seat for the right entrepreneurial opportunity to come along. And so finally, after all these years of saying I was going to be an entrepreneur and saying I wanted to join a startup, I, I made that jump. I leaped into joining Manisha as a co-founder of Playfully. And it was, for me, completely the right time. It's, it's like everything had fallen into place mentally, emotionally. I was ready. I was ready to take that leap. And, you know, I had found the right co-founder too. I think that's such an important piece of it. Manisha was also a mom of two kids. We had a lot of shared experiences around parenting. And I think most importantly, we actually shared a lot of the same values and perspective around the type of company we wanted to build and how we were going to do it. And and also why we are both passionate about the space and this idea. So now it's been several months I've been in this role. And honestly, I, I just could not be happier. It feels like finally I'm doing what I was meant to do. And I feel like things have really clicked for me. Mm. I want to ask you, if you don't mind sharing, how old your kids were when you joined and how old you were when you joined. So I was 33, just about to turn 34, and my daughter was a few months away from turning three. 
and my son was less than one year old. And were you pregnant yet? I'm new not pregnant yet. Yeah. Very close to you actually, though, because we right. did our third transfer for IVF in December, and I had joined just a couple months before that. So I was kind of going into playfully, like with all these things happening, right? Like super young kids at home, my second still under a year. So things were still really hard, right? Like I was still pumping. I was still oh, yeah. asking, I was doing all that, right? And, and then I'm like, understatement oh, of the year. Yes. And, and you know, with like the third kid was planned. We've always wanted to have three kids. That's actually a really great benefit of IVF. If it ends up working for you and you're able to actually have embryos, you can do a transfer when you want to, when you feel like it's right for you. And so my husband and I are like, we're just going to go all in. Like, I'm going to do an on- a startup. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to experience that. And we're also going to just make our family life work with three kids and two dogs. So this- and somehow it's all just going to fall into place. I want to know all about this. What were the, the financial considerations and what was the conversation with your partner like in terms of I'm going to start this new job. And can you take us through those conversations about what it looks like to take the leap? So I am very fortunate that financially it made sense for me to do a startup. My husband was very supportive. We are in a financial position where we can afford it. And he actually is also right now doing something flexible and doing more of a consulting advising role since leaving Facebook because he wanted to spend more time with the kids and thought this was a really great time to do so. So both of us are actually in very flexible positions right now where we're kind of doing our own things. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we have been given this opportunity and that we have the financial flexibility for us to take this on for a few years in our lives where our kids are really young and it's a really special time. So he's totally supportive. And it was actually him who was like, you know what, you have to do this. Like all the pieces are in place. Like you have to, this is, this is what you've been waiting for. And now is the time. So I'm so thankful to him for being so supportive of me and realizing that this was the right thing for me because I still, despite all these things, just feeling like they're right for me, I still needed that push. And, and he gave that to me and that was really great. And so I think what Manisha and I ended up going through was what you might call co-founder dating. I don't think we knew it at the time, but looking back, that's really what it was because we went through this process before we officially joined forces where we had a lot of conversations around, like I said, the type of company we wanted to build and what our own goals were, where we saw ourselves and the company in five years, 10 years. And also, I think one of the most interesting questions that we spent some time thinking about was what would cause us to not want to work on this company anymore? Like what would have to be true for both of us or one of us to decide that it was time to stop working on this business? I think having asked this question before really diving in was really great because now it helps us keep focused on reaching our goals. So one of the things we had said was, if this company in call it one year's time, it doesn't feel like we've moved it significantly up and to the right, it may be time to reevaluate. And I think having a North Star like this helps us be very mindful to constantly evaluate what's working well, what's not, and, and it allows us to course correct if things 
are getting or feeling off track? So I feel cool question. Sorry. I just, I have to say like, what would cause this company to be something that we don't want to work here anymore? Can you talk even more about how, like, how did you design your day to day? Like, are your office hours the same as what a traditional company looks like? What does it look like when two moms are co-founders and designing a business from the ground up? It's totally different from working in an office day to day. And that was another huge reason why I decided that I wanted to do this job because as we know, most jobs just don't offer the flexibility to be able to really be there for your kids, especially when they're young. And I didn't want to miss out on that time. And I know that Manisha didn't either. She also has two kids. They're both very young. And so we designed our day-to-day working so that we can prioritize that time with our kids. So what we try to do is be in the office together about three times a week. And while I think we're very efficient on the other days that we're not working directly together, I think having that dedicated time multiple times a week is really great because it gives us a lot of face-to-face time where we're brainstorming new ideas. We're doing a lot of strategic thinking for the business and just working through any data or analysis that that is really much better done when you have two heads working together. And so on the days that I'm not working in the office with Manisha, as I said, you know, these are Tuesdays and Thursdays. There's a lot of interruptions between drop-offs and pickups. And I try to get as much work as I can done, but really that's more like one to two hour chunks in the middle of the day. Whereas Monday, Wednesday, Friday tends to be bigger chunks of really dedicated time. And so that's kind of what it looks like, you know, from a nine to five schedule. And then of course, it's like 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., the witching hour where it's everything is related to the kids. Like I put my phone down, I try not to be on it. And my husband and I are dealing with the craziness of dinner and bath time and bedtime and all of that. And so I, I find that actually for me, my best working hours are 9 p.m. and after because that's when I get the longest stretch of uninterrupted time. And I can really focus on the tasks that take a lot of concentration and focus. So I think, you know, like many entrepreneurs, this job is not a nine to five sort of job. We did not structure that way intentionally. And, you know, at 5 p.m., I'm not necessarily closing my laptop and thinking that work is done for the day. But I find that it actually works really well for me. I like that I can move in between family and work. And sometimes it's minute to minute. You know, I'm with my kids for lunch and jumping upstairs to do a quick email. And I think a big part of why it works for me is because I feel like I'm working on something that I'm really passionate about. And I'm finally doing something that I've always wanted to do in my life. And so in some ways, work doesn't even feel like work anymore. And that's, that's like the best part about when you find something you're passionate about is that it doesn't feel like work anymore. And for me, my work life and my family life, it all just tends to meld together in this really great way. And I find that this integrated approach is very authentic to the way I enjoy working and is very different from what I would have in a traditional career at any other job. So I love it. It's been great. Tell us about how big your team is now and what some of these one-year benchmarks are. You mentioned like we have to have some success within the first year and from outside, it looks like that's going to be, you're in the middle of that first year right now. Can you share some of that with us? Sure. So we 
are really trying to build a company that has a lot of impact on parents. And what we're trying to do is address this gap that actually happens in the first three years of life where a lot of the brain is formed, 85% of it, and that's the foundation for all future learning. But no formal education really starts until a couple of years later. And so I think Playfully has this opportunity to address this big gap in supporting our kids' development in a really structured way. And so with our goal of being the resource that helps parents figure out what they should do with this new baby, we want to build a business that guides parents and helps businesses. And so when we think about something that helps parents. And so when we think about where we want this business to be in one year's time, we, we are pretty small right now. We are growing at a fairly good rate, but of course, you know, we're parents. And so we are trying to balance growing our families at the same time. So that's where our heads are at in terms of how we want to grow playfully. I think there is a lot of opportunity to do so given the need that parents face, but it's a pretty big order for a team of two of us. Right now it's Manisha and I working full-time as co-founders and we are the only two people who are working full-time on this day in, day out. We do have a team of expert advisors. There's four of them who are childhood development experts and they are involved on a part-time basis, not a full-time basis, but they're still part of our team. And we have contractors as well who help us with content development, who help us with social media. So we have, you know, a team that we can deploy for some of those types of projects. But for the most part, it is the two of us working together day in, day out. And I think one of the things I realized too is that with a startup, everything just takes so much longer than you thought it would. And we come in with these two-week sprints of everything that we're going to get done for those two weeks. And then we're like, oh no, this took so much longer than I thought. And totally, <laughs> totally. That, right? It's just like everything takes longer. And so we are trying to grow as quickly as we can. We're trying to do everything that we can, given that it's the two of us and our time. And we're trying to balance all that with the moms too. And so it's hard. But I think our goals are ambitious. I think we know where we want to be. We know what type of company we want to build. And so we are doing everything we can to get there. I want to ask you, I have a couple more questions before we wrap up. And I want to make sure I can hit on all of them. The first question that I want to ask you in particular, because we chatted about this before we got on the interview, is what don't you do in this world where we pretend or other people pretend that we can have it all and do it all. The reality is that most parents I know skip a tremendous amount. So can you share with us what some areas are where you have actively decided, nope, I'm not doing that? Definitely. There's a lot. So I said that, you know, I'm super grateful for my husband because he's so great about being a 50-50 partner, probably more. It's awesome. I'm just so fortunate for that. And so a lot of the housework that you know might traditionally fall on the mother or the woman, for me, I actually don't do a lot of. And we also have a nanny, a really great nanny who plays such a critical role in our lives in helping our household function. So she pretty much owns my son's schedule. You know, she cooks the kids lunch, she cleans the playroom and their bedroom, she does their laundry. So a lot of that stuff she takes care of, which is super helpful to both of us. 
And what, what don't I do? So when I said my husband does a lot of that, that sort of stuff, my husband cooks dinner every night. We're big fans of Blue Apron. He, he takes the lead on making sure that dinner's on the table, whether we're ordering in or whether he's cooking, it's, it's always there. In my pre-kid life, I loved to go to yoga classes. I found that it was just very relaxing and just great for me mentally and physically. But the reality is that with two kids, you know, doing anything, any sort of workout class that's outside of the home is just not convenient. It just doesn't work. And so I don't do any gym classes or anything outside of the house. So what we've done is actually we've gotten a, a Peloton, a bike and a treadmill. So we can actually- I have one of those and I love it. <laughs> it's, so it's so great. It's just, it's so convenient to just do your workout in your home and you shower and it, it's, it saves so much time for us. And so we also do some, I do some online bar classes as well. I try to squeeze in workouts when I can, but it's not consistent. I really want to get better at it, but I just do not do anything outside of the home that would take me out for, you know, more than a couple of hours if I don't have to. I think the other thing is going back to how I end up doing a lot of work at night, like 9 p.m. and after is the reality is I don't really sleep maybe as much as I should. I think it definitely has long-term health impacts and I'm sure it really impacts my day-to-day functioning in a negative way, but in trying to be a co-founder of a startup, you know, trying to be the best mom possible and be there for my kids, it just means that I'm sometimes sleeping really late, you know, 1am, 2am, and you can't change what time you get up in the morning. Like you still have to get up when your kids get up. That's just the reality of being a parent. But I find that at nighttime, it's just the best time for me to get work done. And so I sacrifice sleep but it's okay. It more or less works. Mm, I'm envious because I think I turn into like a deranged rabbit when I don't sleep enough. I don't even know what that means, but like (laughs) like, I joke with my friends. It's like, I need to get a good night's sleep. Otherwise I'm going to go mad. But yeah, it's so hard because these kids don't sleep in. (laughs) I've never met a kid that sleeps in. And I think there's studies to prove it, that they all wake up between 6am and 8am because they're biologically wired to. Yes. And they still wake up at night sometimes. My son is an amazing sleeper and he never really wakes up. It's great. But my older, my daughter, I mean, she wakes up a fair amount. And so there's that too. So it's, it's interrupted sleep. It's, it's late sleep, but. This is what someone told me that I didn't understand was it's not just like you teach them to sleep when they're, you know, under one or one to two, whatever you choose. But then once they're going through potty training or they like convert to a toddler bed or something older, like then there's night wakings. And I was like, what? Yeah. No! Like, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know that was a thing, but it is. I think it all just gets better, but it actually got worse for us. And so my three-year-old wakes up a lot more than my one-year-old does. And Ooh. so how this is all going to work with a newborn too, I'm not quite sure, but we manage somehow. Day after day, we have we yeah. manage. How do you share parenting and household duties with your partner? I know you've talked a little bit about this and about the 50-50 partnership, but can you go into more detail in terms of, let me put this question a different way. I find 50-50 to be non-explanatory sometimes. Like It's like, so do you do everything halfway? And one of the things you said before is like your husband does all the cooking of the meals. And are there any other areas where you take full ownership and he takes full ownership? I'm looking for anything you want to share here. Definitely. So like I said, we're both in these flexible, non-traditional roles right now. So we have the ability to share a lot of the duties. And I would say that 
we work really hard to stay organized and optimize our time. And I think we think about this in a few different ways. He sort of focuses on family logistics and I focus on family quality. So he does things like booking flights and travel, making sure that we have diapers, paper towels, all the household supplies, managing the household finances. He does all of this. Whereas I tend to focus on the tasks that are things like finding the right pre-tools for our kids or managing their daily schedules, signing them up for activities and organizing playdates, fun family things to do on the weekend. And so another way that we've sort of thought about this is that he focuses on the house and I focus on the home. And maybe that's a better way of thinking about things that are more logistical in nature versus the quality piece. And I think there is a fair amount of overlap. Obviously, he's doing some of those things, I'm doing some of those things. But for the most part, we find ourselves kind of naturally leaning into the split of responsibilities. And I think it's worked out really well for us because we now have a pretty clear delineation of what needs to get done and who is going to take the lead on it. And I think it actually reduces a lot of communication issues that happen in households that are as busy and as chaotic as ours because we kind of get who's doing what. And because we follow this pattern of logistics versus quality, it kind of just ends up working out for us. And, you know, how does this be? manifest itself on a daily basis or how do we do this so we are very religious users of asana for task management and so we have these shared household projects we have shared calendars to manage like some things that probably sound super bizarre to manage on a task list come and some of them are very minute like we have this recurring task to cut the kids nails every week we also have tasks to schedule haircuts for the dog. So this is all like very regimented. So we know exactly when these things should be coming up. <laughs> Probably sounds a little neurotic. But no, your product manager, project management training is coming out. It is. So great. But, it's, but you're not the first person to tell me that as a family you use Asana. I will say that. Oh, good. Because I don't know many other families who do. So I thought that we were kind of weird in doing that. But it works really well for us. Oh, I love it. No, we just interviewed Emily Oster and she said, we have an Asana family. And I was like, record scratch. You're going to have to tell me about this. And then the fact that you do it as well, I just, it means I'm interviewing the geekiest of geeky nerds and it makes me very happy. <laughs> I, love I love that. That is so true. So true. And I think also why it works is that, you know, every day is so different for us because my daughter's preschool schedule is just so crazy. She's in these two different schools and they're half the day and different times of the day, depending on the day of the week. And so we have to just figure it out each day. It's like, who's doing what? Okay, I'm going to do that. Assign that task to me. Okay, you're doing that. I'll assign that back to you. Is it complete? You know, it's like this ongoing back and forth of getting in these tasks adding new ones, marking them complete. It's very nerdy, very nerdy. And parenting sure. is like a huge logistical. It is just so much logistics. I think you can really feel like you're drowning in logistics for the first two or three years, especially if you if this is not the way that your brain works and you're like thrown into parenting. It can be overwhelming for a lot of people. I want to reflect here something that you said that I think is so smart and useful, and we do it in our household as well, which is like domain areas. You said the logistics or the quality or the house versus the home. And my husband and I do this, a similar thing, but we do local versus remote. Like what can be done remotely? That's on my husband because he works far away from the house. And so he manages all of our like 
online banking and Excel spreadsheets and all of that because it doesn't have to be done from the home. And I happen to manage all the local stuff where it's like actually refilling the toilet paper in the bathroom. I'll do that because you can't do that from your house unless we outsource it. And it's... it's we have swapped before because I used to work outside of the home and he used to work inside of the home and I tell you what he's a better house mouse than I am. <laughs> I am I I am like subpar or no I'm par and he is above average and so like when he works from home the house is so clean when I work from home it's good enough. <laughs> so but it's all right. But I love this. So people listening, these this idea of like domain areas is something that could be really useful. And another example is I have the travel bug. I have the biggest travel bug in the family. So I'm the one who's in charge of the summer adventure calendar. And my husband is like, you can assign me things, but I will never like voluntarily take us to Fiji. Like that will never be something that crosses my mind. But for you, that's something you're going to like gestate on for a long time. You're going to like browse travel magazines. And he's like, so if you want to plan it, I will go with you. But this is your domain. I was like, okay, great. So I'm like, it's April right now. It's the time of this recording. And I'm like mad into the like, where are we going to go this summer? <laughs> question. I love that because I think what it does is that you get to focus on the things that you actually care about and the things that interest you. And how much better of a partnership is it when you're doing the things that you're excited about? Yeah. It makes everything so much better when you figure out a way to make it work that things still get done. Everything gets done, but who's going to do that is just based on who cares about it more, who is better equipped to do it. And I think it's so great when you have that domain sort of set up in a household. Like delineation. Yeah. The other thing that you're, and apologies for like jumping in here, but you're making me think of so many things, which I love. The other thing that can be really useful is, and I'll give a shout out to my husband here is, deference when you're it's not your area so like for type a strong-willed headstrong whatever you want to call us me it can be hard to be not the pilot to be the co-pilot and so we use this term in our household of like are you the pilot or am i the pilot like we can't both like which one of us is the co-pilot and so the other day i was washing bottles and and i asked him to put the milk away and he said and he did it and i was like uh and he saw my face and he's like okay, can you show me exactly how you do this so I do it the right way? Because I don't care how we do it, but clearly you have an opinion and you're the pilot. And I was like, okay, I'll show you. I was like, when you pour it this way and that way, then the milk solidifies on the side and then it's going to do this. And then I have to wash twice as many bottles. So if you do it this way and then do the cold, and I like launched into an explanation. He's like, great, got it. I'll do it this way. And wasn't trying to be like, there's a better way and I will micromanage this on top of you micromanaging this can be really beneficial as well. That is so awesome. I I love that. I definitely want to try that because I think we have that same sort of struggle too around for some of the stuff that we both have our hands on, like cleaning up when we get the kids to bed and we have to clean up the kitchen area. Like I have a very set way of how I want everything to be cleaned and how the toys should go back in place and all of that. And so I think that sort of like pilot, co-pilot mentality could actually work out quite well for us because you know, there's like communication issues that happen. You're just like, I thought it was going to be done this way and not that way. And it's <laughs> totally. silly stuff, right? It's like, who cares where the toys really go? But I have a really set way of how I want it to be. And so once you just teach that, then maybe it's not an issue anymore. So this is, that's my husband. I don't care about the toys. My husband is like very particular about like the baskets and the orders and the sequencing. So I've had to learn from him. I'm like, just tell me how to do it and I'll do it. And I can see it makes him so happy when I do it. And I'm like, we're just going to know that your brain's a little weird 
<laughs> but also that this makes you really happy and we have better sex because of it. So like, it's a win, win, win if I can just learn how to do the toy put away. And he's like, this is, he's like, it's so soothing to my brain if you do it this way. I'm like, all right, I'll do it that way. I would just shove it in a box. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a win, win because both people are happy and they get what they want out of it. Right. Totally. Totally. And you can go even geekier and be like, well, let's, let's score these in terms of like ranked importance. Like this thing bothers me, but it's a level three out of 10 of importance. But like this thing bothers me and it's a level nine in importance. So if you're, you know, <laughs> but then you and I wow. may get down into the deepest recesses of our. Wow. That's, that is very cool. And I'm actually trying to think about how you might even use a sauna to do that. Like you could, <laughs> like, there are so many ways that you could do all this prioritization and decide what you want to actually work on. So that is a whole new level, Sarah. That is like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So everyone listening, I'm going to pause us there. Maybe Sonia and I can do like a super geeky podcast episode where we take you into the depths of geekery in terms of Asana and things like that. I will just, I will leave that as an open thread, which probably will drive us both nuts given <laughs> our personalities, but I'll leave that open. Where can people find you, find out more about you and the work you do on the internet and around the world? So I would love for people to check out Playfully. We are, you know, focused on new parents. And so my passion and right now what I'm working on is, is Playfully. So Playfully can be found at www.playfullyapp.com. We are an app available in the iTunes store and on the Google Play store as well. So that is sort of my life work at the moment. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook. I am happy to share more about my experiences around the journey to parenthood and to the startup world. And I would love to connect with more people who have gone through these same struggles and could benefit from talking to someone who has, who has done the same. Everyone, I will link these websites and social media platforms up in the show notes. You could find them in your podcast browser and on our website at startuppregnant.com so you can find out more about Sonia. And if you liked the end of this conversation, if you listened all the way to the end of this conversation and you heard us talking about Asana and you want to go like a level deeper for geekery, I will recommend episode number 74 where we talk about with Renee Warren about creating a systems manual and operating best practices for your family. And I will also recommend episode number 111, where we talk to Emily Oster and she talks about her family and Asana and how they use it. And I am betting that sometime coming up, we will also do like next level geekery. So stay tuned for that. Sonia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Sarah. Everyone, if you enjoyed that interview as much as I did, I want to take just a minute to tell you about a couple of episodes that you might also enjoy. Go back through our archives and take a look for episode number 104. We talked to Vanessa Van Edwards, who is the best-selling author of the book Captivate, all about her experience transitioning to motherhood and those first few weeks of parenting and what nobody tells you. That's episode number 104. You can find our episodes by going into your browser and typing startuppregnant.com slash 104 for the episode number, and it'll take you right there. 
I also think you might enjoy episode 94 with Kimberly Ann Johnson, who is the author of The Fourth Trimester, who also talks about this journey into the postpartum period and new motherhood. And if you want to hear my story a little bit more, I recorded a series of episodes with Carrie Fortin on my journey into having a second baby. And I recorded the experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, the uncertain, the confusing, the overwhelming, all of them in a series of episodes in the 80s. So check out episode number 81, where we talk about what it's like to talk about the really hard things. And episode number 86, where we talk about how I prepared for maternity leave and how she prepared for maternity leave, because that is a particularly challenging puzzle for new entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs in a country that doesn't have much in the way of maternity leave policy or protection. So the episodes that I recommend you go check out are 81, 86, 94, and 104. If you are a longtime listener and you've been listening to them straight through, then I will see you on the next episode. But if you are new here, you can find the links in your podcast show notes. You can type them into your browser, just startuppregnant.com slash the episode number. And they're always three digits. So it's 001 or 002 or 104. I knew that we would get to at least 100 episodes. I do not know if we will get to 1000 episodes. That seems daunting right now, but we will see. Or you can just scroll through and search on your podcast player for these episodes. The episode numbers are in the show notes and you can find them if you scroll through. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.